Warning, warning. Two idiots are crossing the loop threshold into another loop. Please cover your eyes and await further instructions. Hello and welcome back to Disco SCP. You see, I just say this like a whole second. <laughs> yeah. Nice. You see, we're efficiency maxing now. Yeah, we just lost those seconds by bragging about it, but still. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, welcome back for more SCPs. I am your host, Rick Grimes, and this is my co-host, Shane. Uh, Rick, you think you lo- I think I love her, but I don't. <laughs> oh, she's mine. The kid is oh, mine. No, 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 no. Have you Have you watched Walking Dead? I have. Yeah. Not so I'm watching. Works, obviously. So, so, so this started when I was um. I started playing this uh, game called Seven Days to Die with everyone at my work. We have, like, a server, mm. which got me really into zombies. So I started watching Walking Dead one night. And at first I was like, this dialogue is so stupid, but I can't stop watching. Exactly. It's so trashy. It's like, yeah. I'm, I'm hooked. I am invested. I'm so glad that, spoilers, Shane is dead. I was so ready for that. Oh, my goodness. And that's what I'm going to do to you. You're the Shane of this podcast, so get ready for your inevitable demise. Okay, buddy? <laughs> Uh, sure. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, news. Guys, I learned a new life hack with the news today. And that life hack is that every day there's news on the front page of the SCP wiki that I can read. That's the, the vanilla news. You come here for the real news. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> this is what the SCP wiki doesn't want you to know. <laughs> here's some... Here's, here's the vanilla news. We'll start you with the vanilla news, and we'll give you the good news. Vanilla news. Jay Dune apparently won the Halloween contest. That's our friend... Uh, also, more famously known for his role as Billio on Havoc Moon. <laughs> <laughs> to all five people that still oh watch Havoc B- Moon. Billio is on the SCP wiki? Incredible. I wish. Honestly, he should be. He should be a tail. They may do Even if it has life. nothing to do with the JoJo or the campaign, Billio needs to be on the wiki. Um. Also, it looks like... Uh, Looking at Dune's the- profile, like, uh, looks like one of the admins was a big fan of Havoc Moon. <laughs> <laughs> Also, it looks like um, the Korean and Japanese branches of the wiki are having thousand contests for growth and fantasy. Fantasy, isn't that the one everyone's been begging for on EN? Uh, yeah, one loves... Uh... That one would just go to Cactus, I think. It would actually be crazy if it didn't, if someone like totally upset the fantasy contest. That'd be fun, I think. Um... Are you are you all right? Am I am I being problematic no. or something? What's going on? I actually, so it's so problematic. I'm cringing and dying. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. Okay, now real news. Um, if you didn't hear, Twitter is having issues right it now. It died. It's dead. Um, well, everyone seems to act like the site. Everyone's acting like it's going, going down in sixty seconds, and you need to get yeah, the last which message is not, out. Which which we all know is not everyone happening, keeps like actually... tweeting as if it's the last message. <laughs> Guys, if Twitter goes down, you can find me on Discord. Like we don't already find me a special place. <laughs> it's a little over dramatic, but that's like what the SCP community is best at. Um, other news is there's a trend going around, which is like giving honest opinions. Have you seen that? This is fucked up because I only replied to one, and they never got back to me. So I can only assume that their opinion I... of me is so vile they cannot broadcast it. <laughs> I can't do this trend because my opinions, I think, would be too mean. So I'm holding. I just don't have that many opinions on people, so I can't do it. That's even more based, actually. It's like, all right, I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything else relevant in news we need to go over? Um, not that I know of. Oh, I did hear there's going to be a new Aetheral space tomorrow. From when this is released, there's no way. There's no way you can't. You I have inside information from a reliable source. Inside information involved in the creation of Aetheral space. Why have though. you been buying this Aetheral space stock? You, you're an insider. I'm an inside trader for Aetheral Take space. Him. I want Aetheral space to have public stock options. <laughs> oh, that fucking work! <laughs> I buy all the stocks, and then you have to write what I say. All right. I think that's everything. We were doing anti-memetics division, right? Uh, yes, we were. I'm glad you so how many, how many tails are we getting through today? Um, I was going to say three, but let's be honest, it's probably going to be two. Let's make that one. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, Chief. But yeah, um, we're getting back into anti-memetics division. Are you excited? Yes. I'm so excited. I fucking love this series. I love Quantum. 
and I'm ready. How, how much? How, what percent are we of the way through the anime? Because we read a lot of it back in the day, and I still were. Here's how you know it's a good series, because you know my memory is absolute dog shit. Hmm. And I mean, I obviously don't remember it perfectly, but I still pretty well remember the series, because that's how much it stuck with me. I like it that nice, much. Nice. Wise, it's hard to say, really. Are we like more than halfway, or are we under I'd halfway? I'd halfway, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no information gained or lost. <laughs> Perfect uh, all right, shall we begin? Hit me with that tail. Absolutely, I will. Here you go. Try and dodge this. Also, things you hear at furry conventions. Hit me with that tail. <laughs> Tail whip. <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble. I need My to defense is gonna go down. <laughs> Tail whip for Pokemon. <laughs> oh yeah, other news: a new Pokemon game came out. This is the first Pokemon game ever. Well, first mainline Pokemon game ever that I did not purchase. I purchased um, it. I might, I might get it later if people really have good things to say. But so far, I've been told it has a memory leak and a lot of issues. A lot of and I'm not, and I'm not very graphically and technically noticeable. I'd say, and I'm, I'm very positive about it, and I have to admit. Yeah. And, and I want to say, too, like, I'm not in the camp of, like, oh, all new Pokemon games suck. Only the old ones are Sun and Moon is my favorite it... still. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not, like, let it die or anything. But I'm just, like, I think I've got past the point where I'm not as interested in Pokemon anymore. But I don't... But, like, I see how interested my niece is in it. And, oh, my God, I wonder if she has the new game. Because I've been... I hadn't been giving her really many leaks. But she... I, I might have told this already, but my niece is, like, six or seven, right? My nephew so she... also fucking loves uh, Pokemon. yeah. So she's like, she doesn't have internet, so I got to be the one to announce stuff about the new Pokemon game to her, which was so cool. It's exactly the same with me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, isn't it the best feeling? Yeah, I'm the arbiter of Pokemon. It's like we've been training our whole lives. For this. I, I can give out the information as I please. We're, I can tell like them about fucking, Pika Blue as I please. <laughs> we're like fucking Pokemon Do you Pika Blue? Yeah, uh, that was that was. Uh, I keep wanting to say Mar- Maryland. Uh, what's the fucking the Mar- the, the blue? Oh my god, Mar- Mar- Pokemon names. Meryl. <laughs> yeah, and everyone was like blue Pikachu and came out. They were the Poke Gods. Do you remember? <laughs> I do remember. I, I I'm just gonna start telling my niece that Mewtwo is under the truck. Just no, it's Mew under the truck. You know, Missingno, <laughs> Missingno. I love Missingno. Yes. All right, but alas, um, talk, this isn't the Pokemon podcast yet. We have to yeah, keep this is an SCP. We podcast. have to maintain the facade of SCP for now. Yeah, uh, in the lore, we were just stopping in our dimensional travel rift to uh, talk about Pokemon for a second to remember life before it all burned away. <laughs> I used to be um, human. <laughs> when I, I used to be human, you. Imagine you catch your Pikachu and they're like, "I used to be human." That's know? the plot of Detective Pikachu. That's Detective Pikachu. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say. That. We have to write out a full speech for your dog at one point of the I used to be human, like a whole like tuny ass speech. Alright. No longer human. You ready to read for me? Uh, yes, absolutely. Thank you. Foundation agent George Barson is monolithic, nearly two meters tall and rectangular shouldered, like a Bruce Tim cartoon. He is bold, bearded, and immaculately presented. His suit is tailored. There are a few which will fit him off the rack. He arrives at the green place first thing after dawn, six o'clock. The address is isolated, an acre or two of ill-maintained scrubland off a spur of a spur of the Martin Highway north of Ojai. Barson is part of the Foundation's Anomalous Religions Expressions Division. They do cults. Green is not the name of the cult which Barson is here to confront, but a code name. Barson doesn't know the real name. At the briefing last night, it was explained that there were legitimate security reasons to use code names instead of true names here, but those reasons were not explained. Barson, no fool, took this to mean that there is some form of cognito hazard surrounding the true names, or a memory clouding phenomenon which makes it impossible to record. This is interesting because this implies in SCP that true names don't usually hold the power, but in the context of this anomaly, they specifically mm. do. Which is kind of cool. Or, and he's dealt with Foundation research staff for far too many years to not consider this, somebody just straight up forgot to record the real names and is trying to cover them for themselves. If there's an SCP number, he hasn't been told it. The house is an ugly white sprawl. One story, wood construction, no two windows alike in design, decaying. Uh, sorry, the story... I, I, I'm not accusing Quantum of misspelling, but is story usually spelled with E yeah. Y when it's... That's not just like a British thing? That's how it's spelled. I have always misspelled story. Oh my god, you're three years into your architecture course. What are you talking about? <laughs> Damn. 
I didn't know that. There are piles of junk, lumber, rusted vehicle components, drums of filthy green water. Willow and sycamore trees are encroaching from two and a half sides, drizzling leaves and seeds and the scale- miscellaneous biological gunk all over the scaliness? roof. you say the scaliness? <laughs> the scaliness. It sounds like it's some sort of prejudice against someone, but I couldn't tell you who. Clogging the gutters. Through the windows, only closed curtains and blinds are visible. The front door is standing ajar. Sorry, ajar. <laughs> Barson proceeds inside. We like to joke around here. Barson proceeds inside, <laughs> cautiously. Entrance... Barson when he meets Barza. <laughs> the entrance <laughs> opens almost directly onto a large lounge slash diner slash kitchen area. The room is darkened, light mostly spilling from the entrance door. Barson leaves it open, and feeling its way around the edges of the window coverings. The place is dirty and smells of mould. The still air is like an oven, and it's extremely quiet except for... I don't know about mould, but actually I've got my own one now, isn't it? M-O-L-D? Um, I think you're correct. M-O-U-L-D It's like a mould or like... something. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Royalties, I, please. I, well, I don't, I don't know. See, Quandon's such a good yeah, writer like, maybe Quan, I'm the one doubting yeah, it's all like, It's like when you go to Shakespeare, like, uh, methinks isn't a word. <laughs> exactly. It's like, who are we to say? <laughs> the still air is like an oven, and extremely quiet, except the faint animated sound of someone talking. Away down the hall, words not entirely clear. That's another thing that tells you as a good writer. Quantum's like the only writer I expect so much respect so much that I'm like tripping over myself <laughs> to make sure I'm not in the wrong. Wasps and yeah, it's gonna be sharp inside. When you're made to move, that's sloikuladulf you'll bleed from. Barson goes down the hall, passing a wall decoration which was once a mirror, but it's been completely painted over in black. Okay, I thought I had a seizure for a moment. What's sloikuladulf? You don't know. No. <laughs> After a brief search, during which he ascertains that the rest of the house is empty, he comes to the final room. This door is closed, but the focused rambling is coming from inside. At home, it's super easy. I'm going to give you something. An easy two-part project for you to take away. And don't forget Alpha Amph below. Part one. Find someone weaker than you. Barson knocks loudly twice. The patter stops. Nothing else is heard. Barson opens the door. The room is dark, its window blocked with a thick curtain. There's a computer desk in the corner opposite the door, about as cluttered as a desk can realistically get. Strewn with partially dissembled hardware, USB keys, chocolate wrappers, scraps of paper, ballpoint pens. There's a gaming mouse, unable to move for junk. There's a good quality video camera set up, a monitor, video feeds on the monitor, dust. There's a cheap skeleton studio <laughs> chair in the monitor. Average Twitch streamer set up. It's XQC. And a young man of about 20 slouched uncomfortably in the chair. He is skinny, with discoloured pale skin, which I think things could be caused by malnutrition. Oh my god, it is XQC. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what are you doing, dude? <laughs> what? He has what was at one point a stylish, fashionable haircut, but is now in some disrepair. When he turns around, Barson sees that his dark rings around his eyes. It looks like he hasn't slept in a year. He reeks. The room is filled with that odour, almost thick enough to see. You. In the same way that the anomalous viral slash religious phenomenon, the cult, the cult gathering around and above this young man like an anvil cloud, is named Green, he himself is named Red. Good morning, Barson says. He saw your streams. The youth pulls his headphones down. The fuck are you? My name is George Barson. I'm part of an organization which. Ah, Red launches out his chip. supposed to use his true name, you fool! No, he, he wasn't allowed to know their true names. Uh huh. Red launches out of his chair like a rabbit greyhound from a cage. He comes fist first, losing the headphones. Barton shifts his weight slightly to the left, leaning away from the punch. He catches Red's arm and pulls it forward violently, deflecting the attack's momentum and bringing the youth teeth first into the doorframe. Red stumbles back, crouching. He finds his footing swiftly. Uh, Froth is developing at the corners of his mouth, mixing with blood. Scrambling around the junk on the floor, he puts his hand under a soldering iron. I, I know I'm so sorry I keep interrupting, but we were we were just talking about Pokemon. I'm just imagining like red from like the top of Mount Sutra. <laughs> As red comes forward again, Barson wastes a critical split second trying to trace the iron's cable to figure out whether it's plugged in and hot or not. It's not, but that's a distraction that red gets right up there, driving the iron up into Garton's gut with both hands. There's an electronic screech and a spark of orange light. The iron holds Barton's shirt while skitters off his abdomen, opening a long tear. There's burst skin underneath. His shield is invisible, partly mythical, and protects his seemingly exposed head just as well as the rest of him, Aether. I want a mythical shield. He's using his Aether. 
He's got fucking orange colored arm. Like, Sorry, you know, in Nevermind, you get like the orange likes. name. <laughs> that's a reference you all won't get for a while. Yeah, that's deep fucking April Space lore you will never know. <laughs> yeah, you have to watch nine arcs of April Space to get that. Barson takes Red in a headlock. Some haphazard kicking ensues, less well choreographed. Red has a demon's energy behind him, but Barson has, to be blunt, arrived prepared. Oh my god, is he back from Batman with prep time? In a few more moves, Red is disarmed, stunned, flat on his back, and good for nothing. Barson takes stock. The number of genuine fight-for-your-life fights he's been in is still in single digits. This one ranks about in the middle. Fifteen seconds of activity. Both of them made mistakes. A learning experience. And I'll dispense with the introductions, he says to Red. The live-streaming vector was novel. We hadn't seen that before. Very effective compared to the generic self-help book and walled compound model. You get one point for originality out of ten. Oh no! <laughs> this guy goes by the please, Tano, please, no bonus, please, no bonus stops. <laughs> but we predicted it decades back and had the containment procedures ready to go. We have people at the streaming services. As I speak, we're locking you out of your account. Isn't that right, Doctor Disrespect? We're <laughs> using your own shadows to distribute inoculation codes. Barson tries to tidy his shirt up. It's not going to work. Never mind. But you're the source, he says. A simple inoculation code would glance off. Physical intervention is required. He reaches inside his jacket, where he has a perfectly serviceable gun, which he lets its leave where it is for this confrontation, and produces a device not unlike an... Oh my god, come on, what are you doing Ophthalmologist. scope. He kneels, lifts red right eyelid and aims the scope over it, projecting... Anytime a... Tan can't pronounce, like, a science word, I come down like that <laughs> meme of mercy helping the child. I was like, pop tea back <laughs> Projecting a brilliant white spot of light which bathes the entire eye and causes it to lock open. Almost all of red's musculature locks up as well, effectively pinning him to the floor. His teeth clench. Arson says to red, this man is innocent. Nobody can deserve what you've done to him. Release him and leave this reality forever. Through gritted teeth, Red says, Who the fuck are you? Alright. Barson pushes another button, changing the projected light pattern from pure white disc into a complex spiral star design in red and blue. There's a crack like ribs being forced apart, and Eve screams. It doesn't sound like Red. It's a full-body scream, anguished and hopeless and as loud as he's physically able to make it. It comes up from his belly and goes on, flat out, and he runs out of breath and gasps and does it again, arching his back and clawing at the floor. After the second full breath, he cools down to a sobbing wail. Jesus Christ, don't send me back, please. I won't, it's okay. Don't send me back, I can't see. Who's there? It's okay, you'll get your sight back. My name's George, what's yours? There's a bit, the youth says, choking. And it always gets worse. Does it stop? There's no bottom. Bubbles incoherently for a moment and then trails off. His eyes dance blindly. You're in a really bad place right now, Barson says. The youth vehemently agrees. Something has gone wrong, Barson explains. And that thing, that horrific thing went wrong, has found you and abducted you and replaced you. It's out here now, using your skin as a finger puppet, walking you around, making you talk replicating. That nightmare you're having is being had by a hundred thousand people right now, and that's the bad news. The good news is that we caught you, and I can still see you in there, and there's a good chance that we can get you out. A good chance? The youth breathes twice. If you can't, he begins urgently. Focus on the red and blue spiral, Barson says. He still has the scope pointed into the youth's eye. What? I can't see anything. That's because you're not directly connected to the optic nerve anymore, but your mind is locked inside something which is. You can't see the spiral, but somehow you know what it looks like. You can sense its shape, like the pattern of heat on the back of your hand. Barton's voice is becoming slower, taking on a hypnotic rhythm. Spiral idea is going in. It's spreading and flourishing, occupying more space. The more you think about the spiral, the more you realize you can't think about anything but the spiral. Is he using, like, a form of hypnosis to combat, like, a mimetic effect? Seems so. That's kind of cool. The youth seems to have nothing to say to this. His breathing stabilizes. Your thoughts are slowed, Barson continues. The spirals fill you up, recursively, like ice crystals, until you can't move. 
Your brain knows it's being poisoned. Even though you're blind, you feel a reflexive need to look away or block out what you're seeing. A long enough exposure is fatal. There's a long, heavy pause during which Barton does nothing but shine poisonous light into the old man's eye, while studying that brightly illuminated eye himself, tracking the progress of the ocular response, waiting for a particular tell. It's not a clear-cut thing, there's a small amount of guesswork. He waits until he's sure. Finally, he releases the button on the scope, shutting it off. The youth is now completely inert. Uh, popcorn. Barson stands up, knees creaking. He relaxes, sighs. His shoulders untense a little. He puts the scope away. You can think of this as a mimetic chemotherapy, he says. He says it to himself, mostly, to fill dead air. The young man can only hear pink fuzz now. The spiral symbol is an elementary cognito poison. A long exposure is fatal, but a just barely non-fatal exposure is recoverable. You will recover from this poison, and Red cannot. You will survive, and Red will die. Because you, my man, are an intelligent, creative human being. And Red is... He reflects on his briefing, and what he knows of the green phenomenon, and the hundred thousand people suffering and raving inside it right now. They're in all parts of the globe. He has seen some photographs of what takes place in homes occupied by Red's appalling messages. He's heard a strictly limited amount of highly redacted audio. Dispassionate people make better field decisions. That's the rule he was always taught. But remaining dispassionate is harder on some days than others. A piece of shit. Barson potters around the room for a little while, taking a closer look at some of the computer hardware. Nothing notable there, although he finds a stand for the soldering iron. There's also a narrow camp bed in the room, with a bedraggled sleeping bag. He clears the sleeping bag away and loads the youth onto the camp bed, in a recovery position. He pulls the curtain open. It's an obnoxiously sunny day, and the sun is aimed right in through that window. Finally, Barson picks up the swivel chair and settles into it, on the far side of the room, where he can keep an eye on his patient. He pulls a Foundation-issued phone from his pocket, along with a horrendously tangled pair of cheap earbuds, which he begins to untangle. He relaxes into his monologue. It's not as if anybody's listening. Fact is, I didn't need to come here. There's more than one way to physically intervene when something like green comes around. You know what the original plan was when we found out about you? Orbital laser cannon to the top of the head. We can do that, my man. From time to time, your house would be a circle of scorched timber with you a burnt marshmallow at the middle of it. That's our latest methodology for dealing with virulent, single-culpability mimetic anomalies. We do it at arm's length at the longest possible distance, unblinkingly and unfeelingly, and to hell with the details. It's brutal, impersonal, very expensive in orbital laser maintenance. We say to ourselves that it's effective. Maybe it is. I'm not at that level. I don't get to see the statistics. But what I do know is that we can always do better. And I looked at the file, and I looked at you, and I took a long shot. Honestly, I'm a very small guy in the grand scheme but I stood up in a pretty intense meeting with people who I don't really have the authority to say anything to, and I said to them, this is a paraphrase, there's a completely innocent kid at the center of this. He doesn't deserve this. At minimum, we've got to make the gesture. A shadow passes across the room. Barson looks around briefly, but whatever it is, is gone. He thinks nothing of it. And then I also said, if it works, it'll save us a boatload of money. I think that part was the part which got their attention, but I got the thumbs up. So, here I am. Trying to save your life the hard way instead of just atomizing it. It'll probably take all day. Six, ten hours? Don't worry. I have podcasts. The scoring SCP. Is it our, is it our podcast? Please be all podcast, Boston. Actually, that'd probably be bad for us if he's like in the foundation and he hears us reading all this. They already know we're in the, the room, <laughs> reading them over the intercom. What are they going to do? <laughs> yeah, what's he going to do about it? He finishes untangling the earbuds and screws the first of them into his left ear. Uh, uh fuck. Your people must really hate you, Red says. Shit! Barson draws. Late. Obviously, nobody should be able to talk right now. But the real reason he draws late is that the comet lands. It should just pass him by, but there's a sharp, spiteful element of truth to it. Truthfully, nobody was a fan of the idea. Barson had been saying for a long time, with gradually increasing volume, to gradually increasing senior Foundation overseers, that a chat beats a fight. He's been ignored over and over. Yesterday, when they finally said that he could try it, it was grudgingly. And so a momentary flicker of foul suspicion appears. Did they know? Did they really just kill him? They didn't. He knows. Of course they didn't. But it's too late. As he fumbles the gun out, Red has already sat up, grinning like a ventriloquist's puppet, and turned his head to look right at Barson. They make eye contact, and this time Red's eyes are open all the way. 
allowing Barson to see straight through to what's on the other side. Green comprehension leaps out of the pit at Barson and grounds itself in the back of his skull. He recoils instinctively, breaking the connection and covering his eyes. He stumbles, falling backwards out of the chair and into the room of the into the corner of the room. His orange crystalline shield fluctuates, panicking in its own way because of what just passed through it. Intermittently, it turns impermeable, cutting off Barson's frantic breathing. Then it snaps off and dies. Barson doesn't have the training to fully comprehend the idea complex he was just exposed to. He has a basic level of practical memetics training. He can administer the spiral treatment and a few others, and protect himself from certain attacks which would knock a generic human over like a domino. But he's an entry-level practitioner, not a specialist, not a scientist. The sheer scope of green is beyond his ability to comprehend. He feels like one of the men Lewis Sloton irradiated, a demon core critically witnessed. Criticality witness. What's what's that? I'm His demon lost. core was, I believe, it's something um, that sort of after aftermath of like a nuclear accident, and if you can see it, you've basically been radiated enough to like die very soon. Oh God! I wonder what the demon core looks like. I have a picture of it. <laughs> Do you want to see? So it's like if you're close enough to an atom bomb and you see that, you're like too irradiated. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I might have. Well, no, it was a demon core with like a nuclear device, and he sort of opened it by accident and killed like everyone around. Damn. He knows he's dead. The only question is how long it's going to take. Red swings his legs off the bed and stands, keeping his grin fixed on Barson. A spinning red and blue light. How backward are you? He seems to grow larger, to sink backwards into space, a hole where a human should be. Barson finds he can't make himself move out of the corner. It's like he's pinned. There's a creeping, staticky numbness in his hands. He understands his error now. He might as well have tried to poison the ocean. He sees the whole thing. Red's grotesque vision for the world. His slash its immense, vicious promise. The rot is everywhere. Those hundred thousand infected are a foretaste. The spores are flourishing secretly in every aspect of reality. In people's lungs, in their minds, their words, in the soil, in the sky. Maggots and cancers and star signals. How can anyone think like that? How can anyone want that? You. Barson means it in the singular. There's no distinction between Red and whoever that original human was. There's no one to rescue. It was a damn ruse. It was voluntary. You made this happen? He manages. It didn't abduct you. You invited it. Hacked your own soul in half and offered the pieces up for no reason at all. You've latched yourself onto the front of something unimaginable. You can't comprehend how badly this is going to end. You've murdered yourself. Red advances on him. Gun. Barson's mind is disintegrating, but it gets that one word out. Gun! It's on the floor between them, gleaming in the shaft of orange light pouring out of the window. Barson fights himself and wins and lunges for it, only then finding that the creeping numbness in his extremities isn't just affecting his hands, it's affecting his own ability to perceive them. He doesn't know that it's a minor intimate clouding effect. All he knows is that there's a stump at the end of his arm, both arms. The gun is inoperable. All he can do is push it around the floor. He shouts miserably and helplessly. Red laughs and doesn't even bother to kick it away. The Foundation will stop you. Barson manages like a mantra. Red cocks his head, as if he knows the word Foundation from somewhere. Are all of them as weak as you? He concentrates. I'm only the fourth strongest mimetic warrior. <laughs> Marion Wheeler. I'm sorry, Hutchinson. Comprehension goes both ways. Barson dimly understands what Red represents, which means Red, in turn, dimly understands what Barson represents. Red perceives the power structures which dispatched Barson into this hated burrow. Red perceives the shadows of the people at the streaming services and the mobile task force Barson doesn't know about, skulking out at the property's perimeter, waiting for a go order which will never come. Red perceives the four or five brutal, impersonal suits seated at the top of the operation, webbing it together. One of them is toying absently with their laser strike key stick, twirling it around the back of their thumb over and over, dropping it. That's as far through headspace as Red can search, because that's the limit of the people who know about him. It, Red, that's the hit list. The shadow blots the sun out again, the same one as before, for longer this time. Red looks out through the window, giving it a curt nod, and it departs. Barson slums to one side, dead up to the shoulders now. Conscious that any of these words could be his last, he says, You think you're in control, but it's going to kill you too. We can get you out, you can help us contain it. Red crouches, still grinning. Look at me, look! Barson looks, he doesn't have a choice, it hurts. Red makes sure he's being heard loud and clearly. No. Saying. Three, four, six, Semection. Barson whispers. Red blinks. What? Something bleeps. A star, Barson says. A star! Shit! 
Red looks around, suddenly genuinely alarmed. The phone! He lost track of Barson's phone! He finds it beneath the bed. He snatches it up. There's a voice authentication interface. An authentication is nearly complete. Stop! Cancel! Undo! Nothing happens. Wrong voice. He drops the phone, scrabbles for the gun. Zelki and Ayora! Fire! Barson says. Red puts a bullet through the phone, and a second through Barson's skull. He looks up at the ceiling, waiting, still alarmed. And he waits. But nothing else happens. No, it was oh, too he late. He didn't make it in time. I didn't want to interrupt the badass story, but uh, Scarlet Rot much? <laughs> Before Scarlet Rot was a thing? That was really good. Quantum always knows how to knock it out of the park. Fucking 13 out of 10. What else can I say? Like, I know I basically, like, suck his metaphorical cock all the time, and I apologize for that, but he's just such a yeah. get good fucking writer. It's insane. It's like... There's so much I'm, scene I'm setting to... that all, uh, all works. Like, really abstract yes. concepts. Like, when he's sort of perceiving the power structure of the other guy. Right. And it's like, it's a completely, like, absurd concept where you can, like, understand the sense, basically. Another thing that gets to me is, like, and this is not talking down on anyone else in the wiki, but a lot of wiki writing feels like like internet fiction, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but you know what I mean? Whereas, like, when you read anti Max Division, it feels like something out of, like, a book in a library. Mm. It feels like literature. Like, written by some, like, old guy in the 60s that's critically acclaimed, if that makes sense. Does, does that make sense? I hope that's not insulting the other No, I get it, I get it. It's just, it's just you, everyone else, you just hate everyone else. Yeah, pretty much. There's my to be honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um... Uh, give me the next one, please. Sure. This one's called Immemorial. Immemorial. Why does that sound familiar? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe someone's mentioned that before on the server. That sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, alright. It's gonna have to go back to you. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm really tired after all that reading. Miss Wheeler! Miss Wheeler! Marino. Joey's mom from Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> what is it, yu <laughs> <laughs> Marion Wheeler has just finished a scheduled inspection of SCP-8473 and is about to go for cigarettes. Something else I did notice, like, the present tense is very rare, but it works so well with yeah. these. Yeah, Someone is running, sure. it's When it's an action scene especially, it, it's very good. Mm -hmm. Someone is running up to meet her outside SCP-8473's containment unit. Wheeler recognizes her as Dr. Eli Marino, a trainee field researcher who joined the Antibiotics Division only six months ago. Uh, just as a heads up, it's pronounced Barino. That's what I said. Yeah, that was uh, just because, like, uh, you know, it's something, something, don't want to be insensitive. That's what I said. That's how I pronounced it. <laughs> you said Marino. That's what I said. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what you said. No, Moreno. Moreno. Like Ray Gun. I'm sorry. What? You're good. Like Ray Gun, did you say? Yeah, yeah, like Ray, like Ray Gun, okay. not Reed. That's Moreno. Dr. Moreno. Can I help you with something? Um, Moreno interlocks her fingers nervously. She's a full heads taller than Wheeler and half her age, with scraggly hair and exceedingly thick glasses. She lacks experience, but she is very smart and she is learning very fast. In another year, she'll be among the best people the division has, or has ever had, and Wheeler is looking forward to that. Wheeler loves nothing more than competent people. Still, as the pause lengthens, that day of competence seems to be in the future. Dr. Moreno, I normally expect my people to get to the point a little quicker than this. There's a stone in the forest behind the site, Moreno blurts. It's monumental. It's like a skyscraper. It blots out the sun. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. But I've never seen it before. I don't understand how it's possible that I never saw it. It casts a shadow across the whole site. I mean, was it always there? Yes. Is this because you took your first routine dose of Opsgrave Nestics this morning? Yes. Moreno seems alarmed. That's how it works? Something that big can just be right there and we don't see it? Yeah. Wheeler checks a watch. I like to call this the looking for mustard in the fridge phenomenon. <laughs> Wheeler checks a watch and mentally moves with scheduled commitments around. Extend this smoke bake to the rest of the afternoon. Leave the scheduled inspection of SCP-3125 where it is. Review promotion cases after the gym instead of before. Evening meal? At this rate, never. Moreno, suffocating up in the weight of follow-up questions, finally asks, What is it? Wheeler gestures to her left down the corridor, indicating that she is about to walk and that Moreno should follow her. I'll show you. Are we reading in chronological order, by the way? Uh, not necessarily. These, these jump around in time a lot. Oh, okay, because I was going to say, shouldn't she be Hutchinson now? Well, yeah, that's another thing. Like When you get antibiotics, though, so, like, sometimes bitch remains, so I don't imagine that's... Oh, so this is kind of like Memento style. Maybe, yeah. 
In the database, it's SCP-9429. Moreno hasn't read the entry. She doesn't have access. The stone is a single, unbroken, 91 by 91 by 147 meter vertical cuboid of ancient weathered dark basalt. It sits at a very slight angle, leaning fractionally to the north. Its regular angles clearly mark it as a carved object, a human-made artifact. It rises at the forest to the east of Site 41 and dominates, not to say obliterates, the view in that direction from the windows of the site's main block. It is, by volume, massively bigger than the site itself, even including its underground extents. It looms. It is absolutely unmissable. The idea that anyone could fail to notice for any period of time, Wheeler has to admit, is more than a little unnerving. I want to imagine, maybe this is too meta, but maybe there's an opposite to it, where if you're like, like, I wonder if there's things that like only if you're super not inoculated to antimimetics that you can see as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, are there, like, just like things appear when you're inoculated against, like, antimimetics, are there things that disappear once you are that were there before? That's a very trippy idea, because, like, what would those be, then? Yeah, right? (laughs) Like, that, that, basically the classic meme of, like, take the pill and your wife is gone. (laughs) (laughs) Willow leads Moreno up the short forest track to the stone's perimeter, and then right, following its perimeter, in its shadow. It's a wet day, and rain is dripping from its very top edge of the cube as well as from the conifers which grow right up beside it. The rain makes a constant white hiss, deadening other sounds. There's a weak antinomatic clouding effect surrounding it. So what I love about these is like, oh, the giant monster that destroyed the city, but you never remember. So a very weak effect. Godzilla when he has the antimimetic clouding effect. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's only got, it's got like a, a, a crumb of antimimetics. <laughs> Could you argue that, forgive me for mentioning Harry Potter with its controversy, that the fucking invisibility cloak would be an anti-mimetic clouding effect? It's kind of. But it's, it's very weak. That's actually very weak, because you can still remember it. <laughs> that's true. To most people, it's effectively invisible. You've been up to the top of some of these other hills, I'm sure. You should have seen it clearly from up there as well, but you looked straight past it. That's normal. There's a related effect which removes people's memories after they visited the stone. That effect is much stronger. It'll cut right through your monastic drug regimen and mine. So we'll forget all about this? Moreno asks. Oh, you know there's some sad motherfucker at the Foundation who lost someone they love who touches that stone. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, but they're not necessarily going to forget that. They'll forget going to the stone. Yeah. <laughs> I think the scariest thing about anti-mimetics is it erases ideas, right? So even if you were to, like, journal or record, like, on, like, a device, it could be erased if yeah. you, like, get affected, right? Not necessarily, but yeah, I know what I mean. Yeah, that's that's kind of fucked. Like, this is such a crazy... Divi- the, the gaslight division is so terrifying the more you think about it, which is what makes it such an engaging and, like, spooky concept compared to a lot of things. Like, it, honestly, it's a, it's a lot... Sc- at least more, like, suspenseful of an idea to me than, like, a lot of the scary monster-type yeah, articles. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh shit. Wheeler holds up a battered little notebook and a cheap blue ballpoint. Moreno understands. She is carrying a notebook and pen as well. Information suppression is a complement Kate's spectrum. Sometimes a written note is the only thing which make out of a zone which suppresses memories, electronic data, radio signals, and even audible sound. Oh, that literally just goes through <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> Alongside the... What? What is my habit of doing that where, like, two sentences later... It's because you have one second precognition, but you don't realise <laughs> Alongside the mandatory Foundation issue brick phone, many Antisemetics Division operatives habitually carry some combination of an instant camera, a mechanical tape-driven dictaphone, a notebook, a walkie-talkie. Not that Moreno is expecting to need anything today. Of course, Wheeler continues, one side effect of the clouding is that I don't exactly remember the way. I guess we could set up signposts, but somehow it never gets done. Not because of antimimetic effects, you understand this plain laziness. Ah, this looks like the way up. They come to a passage in the side of the stone. In fact, it is not a passage, but a tremendously deep groove, cut all the way from the top of the queue to its base, a slot with a thin line of overcast sky visible overhead and steps leading up. Willow begins to climb, and Moreno follows. Another interesting thing, I'm so sorry, but just these ideas, they're ideas that get me thinking. Like, you cannot see the thing, but it's sort of there, right? So, yeah, like, What is it you're seeing when in... you think you're seeing the landscape, is what I always think about. Right. Like, where is, like, where is your mind chuck... getting that? Let's say you like chuck a grenade and it explodes. Would it destroy the tower? And if so, could you be crushed? Well, to death physically, by I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I think you could. It, like, it's not affecting that's reality at all. It's just your perception of it. Yeah, that's so fucked. It is still there. So that also argues that perception has a tangible effect on what is real and what isn't. 
which is also kind of an idea in physics. They climb in silence for some minutes. Moreno stops a few times to write down a note or two, punching over to shield her notebook from the drizzle. Then she hurries up to catch her wheeler, who maintains a steady and different pace. Sometime after Moreno has lost count of the steps, the stepped groove makes a 90 degree turn to the left and continues to ascend. Wheeler stops here, above Moreno, and turns to quiz her. What do you have so far? What is this place? Moreno asks. You tell me. Um, Moreno hesitates for a moment, uncertain where this is going. She checks her notes. Um, well, geologically speaking, this stone is an alien. At first I thought there'd be a mountain on this spot which was excavated into the shape by human hands, but the rock itself is wrong. It's different from the mountains and hills nearly here. You'd have to travel at least 500 kilometers to find basalt like this. Which means it must... Is it basalt or basalt? I, I actually don't know. I think know. It, it's basalt, probably. <laughs> which means it must have been... I, 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 mm. Yeah? Sorry. Oh, sorry, Reed. <laughs> Awkward. Which means it must have been excavated elsewhere, maybe carved there and moved here. Wheeler says nothing, but a demeanor seems to indicate that Moreno is on the right track. Which is impossible, Moreno continues. This is a single stone. Judging from its dimensions and density, it must mass north of three million tons. That's now, after I could never be that fucking smart where I could calculate weight <laughs> like that in my mind. And that can't be done. Human civilization cannot move objects of this size, not in a single piece. The technology doesn't exist. Correct. So how did it get here? Good question. Marina waits. She doesn't have the answer to the question, so he waits for the wheeler to supply it. But wheeler does not. What else? It's been engraved, Marina says, indicating the walls of the stepped passage, using tools. And I notice that the exterior walls are the same. There's a lot of weathering, but here and there between the biological crud, there's this very clear, regular pattern. Right here, see? Tiny vertical rectangles, like a block curse on an old computer terminal. Oh my god, are these real-life <laughs> Does this, like, have a secret in it, like, in the code? So. I tried to highlight it. Okay, it's just fuckery. Or a tombstone in typography, Will suggests. Marina blinks. Uh, yes. It's a uniform pattern, very detailed work, which would require good to- quite good tools even by modern standards. I think this pattern is supposed to cover the entire exterior of the stone. If that's the case, the blocks are so minuscule and the stone is so large, it must have been originally hundreds of millions of them. Correct. Willis says again. Anything else? Moreno thinks for a minute. She stirs up into the rain, reflecting on the atmosphere that the stone, or sculpture I suppose it would be better described, projects. Loneliness, quiet, desolation, awe, intimidation, and some fear. Although with that intimidating, fearful atmosphere, there's no sensation of danger, no threats. We consider ourselves to be a powerful culture, she says out loud. Wheeler hears this, but asks no follow-up question. Apparently satisfied, she turns and continues clearing the steps, and Moreno follows. The passage makes several more turns, carving out an erratic, squared squiggle. Rona takes no further notes. Her knees are about ready to explode by the time they reach the top. I was going to say, how many fucking stirs are there? Yeah, that sounds like a lot of walking. I'd be done. They emerge, blinking at the light on a wet, windstripped, slightly slanted plateau. There are more of the tiny tombstone indentations underfoot. The edge of the cube are some distance away, but they are not marked. The dark grey surface just ends at a straight line not far out. And the horizon itself is below it, not visible. I have an f- interesting theory. Yeah. What if, so you know, like the idea of like erosion and like things like being carved out? Yeah. What if it's not that the basalt's been moved? What if there was a civilization and it was all like this and this is the last little sliver of it left? We're still have the gate there, though. No, no, but what I'm saying is everything that's around the stone right now, like that whole area, what if it was all basalt and whatnot before, but this is like a sliver of that left and the rest was carved down over time? Maybe not by erosion, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? Maybe. Like, rather than it being moved here, it's the last remnant of what was here. Interesting. This gives Moreno some vertigo, particularly since the surface tilts towards one corner and the engraved basalt underfoot is slick, wet and getting wetter. See, I love how, like, the more we read these, it's like, I don't have any stupid anime references. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> things, ideas, I love. There's a more cluster <laughs> of foundation scientific equipment up here. Chunky weatherproof units snapped up under, under a canopy. There's a table with a rugged, beaten-up computer terminal switched off. Further away is a diesel generator. Some guy back at the site is like, would I leave my computer? <laughs> You'll never find it. I was going to play League of Legends. I was about to close it out. 
Willa ignores the equipment and paces away in a different direction, facing away from Moreno and out of the sky, playing with a cigarette lighter, although not actually lighting anything. The lighter is actually a tiny propane burner intended for lighting stoves, given to her by her mother before she died. Willa no longer remembers this. Moreno sad. Moreno waits for a while, arms folded for warmth, gradually getting wetter. She doesn't seek cotton over under the canopy because Wheeler hasn't. She senses that something about to happen. Wheeler is normally quite poised and difficult to read, but she looks apprehensive, upset even. Focused intently on the lighter flame, Wheeler seems to be unable to look in the eye, as if she doesn't want to push through with the next part of where this is actually supposed to be. Orientation? Initiation? Hazing? What was that about getting to the point? It's a memorial, Moreno says. Hmm? Wheeler snaps the letter shut and pockets it, moderately impressed. Only moderately, though. That's right. Of course, I practically told you that when I mentioned tombstones. How many antinomatics wars have there been? That gets her. Damn, so much for slow-burning theatrics. Someone told you? You read the entry? Moreno looks at her shoes. Um, no, really, I've never seen this place before. I was just guessing. You look embarrassed, Wheeler says. You're embarrassed that you hit the right answer 30 minutes before I was expecting you to. You think you've shown me up, right? Eli, look at me. She looks. Keep operating at that level. Don't slope for my benefit or anyone's. It's important. Hell yeah. Will you tell me why we're here? Moreno asks, for what she hopes will be the final time. And in another part of her mind, a fatal chain of calculation starts. Oh, God. What is going on? How... How many anti-memetic wars have there been, Tan? How many times have we met in this world over and over? <laughs> Only I remember the loops. Oh, that's that's a really sad thought. And you become my friend in every loop. <laughs> this time we started uh... a podcast to prevent <laughs> grand killing. Last time we had a game show together. <laughs> it always ends with me killing you. <laughs> it's not even because of the loop, it's just natural results. <laughs> Eventually, the tension you frustrate, and then you're like, "Oh, maybe I want Darnell." Well, whatever. I can do. I can always get another Darnell. Damn. The problem, Wheeler says, is that every single person in the world with reliable access to high-grade nestic medication works for me here, and the division is pitifully understaffed. There are forty of us, including you and me, and forty pairs of eyes is not enough. We cannot look at enough of the world at once. There is an appallingly large percentage of the world which no human has ever properly looked at. This is unbearably limiting to all forms of anti-memetic research. I wonder if they'll, like, come across, like, a tribe or group of people that have, like, evolved to be immune to the anti-memetic stuff. That would be badass. That would be badass. Antimimetic biology, antimimetic paleontology, antimimetic cosmology, antimimetic archaeology. These disciplines, all of them, barely exist. They are nowhere. Nevertheless, we have seen this culture's cities. One or two still exist. Pure dumb luck is how we found them. Division researcher takes a vacation, drives across Nevada while still on the dose, sees something on the horizon. That sort of thing. The cities are physically ruined, and there are heavy anti-memetic effects shrouding them, which make them nearly impossible to study, even for us. Large, simple things like the stone survived better, but even so, we think the stone was one of the last things they built before they died out. I was right! Tan, I was right, kind of. Dude, high score for me. Put one point on the board, Anomalous. Ding! Anomalous. Uh, that will never be tracked again. I can't allow him to get a <laughs> <laughs> Episode one, once again. Warning. Warning. Container breach in progress. Two idiots are reading the SCP files over the intercom. Please cover your ears and await further instructions. Hi guys, the first episode of Discovering SCP. It's a little podcast me and my friend Darnell here. You're going to be doing. If you don't know me, I'm uh, Tantony. I've written a few things of the SCP wiki. I've written uh, 993, a spooky scary clown. <laughs> they were human. Oh my god, when we redid episode they used to one, be that human. was the start of a new loop. <laughs> No! What have I become? You become Rocky. They were, oh my god. There's so many layers right now. They were human. They were probably significantly more technologically advanced than we are. They existed tens of thousands of years ago, perhaps hundreds of thousands, we can't know for sure. 
It's difficult to determine what really happened to them, because their entire cultural meme-plex was lethally irradiated. Their core cultural concepts, the things they created and stood for, and valued highly, can never be known or propagated again. We think an idea stole into their culture, which they did not have adaptations to defend against. A complex of ideas. A mimplectic, keter-class, end-of-world scenario. Wheeler pauses, letting the rain patter for a significant moment. And we just forgot? Moreno asks. The rest of us, who survived the war and became modern humanity. You and me and everybody, we looked away and walked away and moved on? Yes. Moreno staggers, vertigo swelling up and briefly getting the better of her. See, this is also like a doubly unsettling idea because a lot of people, how they cope with death is like the idea of leaving behind yeah. a legacy. But the idea that everything you've left behind can be erased. Like nothing can ever be like you again, even. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Hundreds of millions of people died. Oh, sorry. Hundreds of millions of people died and we just Are you forgot. me, Moreno? <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> you have such an infectious accent. Is that what you wanted to show me? You want me to write that down? Yes, Wheeler says. Yes, write this down. It's the first thing you're learning today. Humans can forget anything. It's okay to forget some things because we are mortal and finite. But some things we have to remember. It's important that we remember. Write to yourself something which will make you remember. Moreno nods. It's raining too heavily, so she retreats under the canopy and uses the table. Even so, a few raindrops splatter her notes. She writes intently and rapidly. For some time, what she writes is rushed and unrefined, with large parts crossed out. She wonders how she'll react when she reads it for the first time. After a while, Wheeler joins her under the canopy. Moreno, staring at her notes, asks Wheeler as if she doesn't already know the answer. And the second thing? Wheeler says... It is possible that their culture had an equivalent to the Foundation. It may even have had an anti-memetics division. If they did, their Foundation and their anti-memetics division failed them. It's a big reality. Oh, sorry. It's a big reality. It's a big Foundation. There's a lot of Ketters and a lot of Keter-class scenarios. So maybe the end of the world will be some other division's problem. And yes, a big part of the job we hired you for is basic research. Lab work, as safe as it gets. And yes, it's been thousands of years, and it may be thousands of years more. But maybe it won't. And maybe it will be our problem. To answer your original question, there has been one anti-memetics war that we know, potentially others that we don't know of, and there is undoubtedly one to come. Moreno says nothing. She looks dismayed, broken. She's right to be and Wheeler is familiar with the reaction. This is, indeed, part of every new anti-memetics division operative's orientation. The magnitude of responsibility can be hard to handle. It should be. Welcome to the anti-memetics division, Wheeler says. This is your first day. Uh, popcorn. Moreno White writes for some time longer. Wheeler waits silently. The rain doesn't let up. But what was it? Moreno asks. What was the idea? SCP-9429-A. Wheeler says, We isolated the memeplex itself in the 70s. We have it in a slab in a Vegas room, basement level 2. It's mostly harmless now. It's so culturally alien to modern humans as to be nearly incoherent. Think Egyptian hieroglyphs. I'll show you another day. I can read Egyptian hieroglyphs, Moreno says. Are you saying it couldn't come back? In that form, it's highly unlikely. Moreno points at something far away in the sky. Wheeler looks. There's nothing out there, just overcast sky and rain. What do you see? Under heavy nesting devotees, some people say they see ghosts here. We even have some supposed interview logs. Personally, I think the veracity is dubious. Um, it, it doesn't look like a ghost. It looks like a, an anorexic kaiju, a monster, a pillar made of spiders. It's taller than the stone, at least twice as tall. It's coming here. I, is this normal? No. Wheeler is already racing through the checklists. Oh, shit! <laughs> what is it? I don't know. This isn't part of the hazing? No, I will never lie to you, Eli, I swear. An anti-memetically cloaked entity which looks as monstrous as Moreno is describing has an approximately 0% chance of being benign. They need support. Wheeler finds that her phone has no signal. 
Tracking Moreno is, is pointless, she already knows. The only way to get a message out of here is with a written note. A paper airplane thrown off the top into the woods. But it's raining, isn't it? Yeah. Oh no, it won't work! It's bending down. I think it's looking at me, Moreno says, watching a space in the air descend. There isn't even a hole in the rain which Wheeler can perceive. Its head is gigantic, has to be ten metres wide. It has graspers and arthropod legs all over it. Dozens of eyes, some of them are blinded. There's someone riding it! What? Describe the rider. Caucasian male, twenties, skinny. Jeans, trainers, dirty brown hair, needs a haircut. He's been shot. He's bleeding out all over, but he doesn't seem to notice. In the liver, and again in the throat, just above the clavicle, he's smiling. He, he says, no, that never happened. Willis spends a split second wondering whether the gunshot wounds are intentionally creepy detailing, or whether the man is generally using some kind of advanced anti-mimetic power to ignore a mortal wound. And if the latter, how, and how he originally sustained it. But more urgent questions are afoot. He sees you? Yes. Does he see me? Hear me? Moreno's transfixed and starts to look generally frightened. He wants to know who I'm talking to. Don't tell him. He doesn't get information about us, understand? Wheeler pulls a walkie-talkie from her waist, sets it to broadcast an emergency beacon, turns it, holds it over arm as far as you possibly can, in the direction of the Site 41 main building. With luck, it'll land intact in the forest, outside the suppression zone cast by SCP-9429, summoning a mobile task force. Ask who he is. Moreno standing very still, with her hands clamped rigidly at her side. Who are you? He says, he says he's nearly finished. He says he's going to kill me. Like hell. Eli, listen to me. We're running for it. Back down the steps. If we can get to the perimeter of the stone, it'll flush our memories. They can't move. Wheeler hauls on one of Moreno's arms. She can't be moved. Put one foot in front of the other. It's got a hold of me. Moreno's goggle-eyed and started to hyperventilate. Wheeler disengages and surveys the situation. She can't see or touch any grasping spider legs, or the monumental face which Moreno said it can't look away from, or the rider. But she leaves Marina that they're there, real for some value of real. She claps one hand to her side, but of course she isn't carrying a sidearm, because it's a safe SCP on a safe site, and why would she be? Not that it makes even a difference when this mythical rider is able to laugh off gunshot wounds. There aren't enough options in front of her. She very badly wants to swear, and bites down hard on her tongue. Marina screams. Eli? Willa shouts. Don't look at it, look at me. I can't. You're stronger than this. I'm not. They're the best we have, Wheeler says. I'm not making that up. You're seeing this thing where nobody else could. That makes you smarter and stronger. You can fight it. Invasion drill. It hates so much, Rona says. I can't think through it. I can't see. Please. Please don't. Wheeler knocks her out. She circles behind Moreno, plants one hand on her shoulder in stability and punches her behind the ear. Rona sags in place and falls forward to her knees. Wheeler is just about able to catch her before her skull connects with the ground. But she didn't hit her hard enough. Moreno is unconscious only for a second. She struggles as she comes back. It's like she's waking from a nightmare into another nightmare. She clutches at Willa's hand. She can't scream. Her heart stops. Willa rolls over. They miss her over and misses CPR. Without equipment, there's very little chance of her restarting Moreno's heart. Nobody's coming. She didn't throw the walkie-talkie far enough. It's almost 15 minutes before she gives up. Popcorn. And then Wheeler is collapsed against the wall of the passage, on the next-to-last step, about to leave SCP-9429's field of influence. That's the pillar, right? Uh, yeah. Trying to figure out what the fuck she can possibly write to herself. What the hell was that thing? All Moreno did was think of it and killed her. She was as good as any of us. She was as capable as she was ever going to be, and she wasn't good enough. How do you fight an anti-memetic monster which only eats the best anti-memeticists? You... You could try to build some kind of counter-meme, but you'd need to be shielded while you worked on it. You'd need a hermetically sealed, self-sustaining lab as big as an archaeology, like the ones Bart Hughes used to build, like the one under Site-41. God, how long have we been fighting this thing? There's a rustling behind her. She turns to look. Far away, up the steps, there he is, the writer Moreno described. A scrawny young man with a hostile frown, and yes, two steadily oozing gunshot wounds. His shoes are soaked in blood. He calls out, Marion Wheeler, I owe you for the lake. Wait, 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 wait. Was that from the other tale we read? Uh, yeah. She wait. She couldn't see. The... She couldn't see, but she shot at something invisible. That was what this was. Yeah. 
Wheeler stands up. She doesn't know what Lakey's talking about, but she says nothing. The writer gestures. Blue and brown and black spiders of all sizes cascade around the corner, flooding the passageway up to his knees, pouring over his shoulders, tumbling down towards Wheeler. They make a strange organic rustling as they pour like wet leaves. There must be millions of them. The spiders would probably be much more effective if she was at all afraid of them. It's too bad. She just learned a great deal about this entity. That they have a history together, and that it personally dislikes her, and that it apparently has a humanoid mouthpiece and allows the imagination. But she has only a second before the cascade of arachnids overcomes her, and that's not enough time to even write a single word. Moreno's death, then, was for nothing. She steps backward over the threshold. The rain is finally easing off. Wheeler lights a cigarette and heads back to the main building. It's almost time for a scheduled inspection of 3125. No, she forgot. Oh, wait. She crossed over the perimeter, but that saved her as well, yeah. right? But also, no one knows about this thing. Ah, uh, Anti-memetics division. This shit's so good, dude. I know. <laughs> 13 out of 10. No questions. I, what can I say? It's just fucking amazing. It's good. So good. I, don't, I, get, I wish I could elaborate and say something really smart, like a good like literature like reviewer, but it's just good. I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, it needs to be said. What do you think? Give me your thoughts, Tan. Um, I don't know what to say. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. It just does a really great job of making you get invested in the characters and thinking about the world yeah, yeah, exactly. trying the to concept. come to terms with the There's so many scale. ways the concept of the antimetics can be used. It's terrifying that the only way to fight back is to know about things, but knowing about them inherently yeah. puts you in danger. I love that so bit, you, like, you little bit, like, halfway through. It's like she begins the fatal series of calculations where she works out that it exists and then it comes for her. Yup. It's terrifying. And it's like... like it, in it's, the, it's, it's not even, like, something you're consciously doing. You figure it out, like, in the back of your mind and, like, you're dead. And the anti-memetics division, ignorance is bliss, but also ignorance will lead to, like, the demise of the world. So you have to put your entire identity yeah, like and everything you were at risk. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. All right. Um, that was amazing. We're over an hour. Shall we read some comments? Absolutely. Shall we? Yeah, my throat's a little scratchy, though. I'm in pain. So? <laughs> Shut up. Bastard. This guy's a bastard, man. <laughs> It's tough love. Alright. Are you ready? Yeah. What are these people saying? Uh, Meep Meep says, I have passed the cyberpunk episode and I'm approaching rapidly. Throw <laughs> <laughs> some more stuff on the back. Just, I think this usually left like a really heartwarming comment about catching up on our podcast like just after. <laughs> I just imagine like when it's also a truck driveway that now he's running towards us down the highway. <laughs> Um, an anomalous writer says, you do not remember this comment. What comment? Um, yeah, I don't know. Let's move on. I, I hope uh, that's the yeah, only okay. memory one for this one, but <laughs> joking about forgetting the episode. <laughs> the, anomalous gets a free pass, because I adore him. Everyone else who does it, though, will get shit on. Uh, Three Yellow Arrows says, I'd watch the shit out of a DSCP puppet show. Just you guys messing around with puppets, LMAO? This guy has a puppet thing? <laughs> We had a puppet thing. We had the Muppets Antimetics Division. <laughs> he doesn't remember. Also, he, um, he forgot what happened last episode. I am, I am the most... I have the most authentic reading of this series. Also, OMG, finally continuing Antimetics Division. Very excited, Smile. So are we reading in creation order? Because you said it's not chronological. Uh, this is like creation order, as far as we were, yes. Okay. Which is the intended what reading order, order I imagine. <coughs> right. What order are you guys going to read it in? As in, when do you think you'll read the Thin Dangerous Line part of the story? No fucking clue. <laughs> Who knows? Comedy Man Kelp says, Alright guys, I have a pitch for a new joke idea. Tell me what you think. So you know how anti-memetic anomalies make you forget information about them? <laughs> what if when we were talking about them, we acted like that happened in real life? And we said things like, um, what's a 055 again? Or, wait, we have an anti-memetics division? Let me know what you guys think of this one, gang. I think it's got potential. <laughs> Augustson, the executioner. Take him away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grave Antilal, who put a little pronunciation guide for his name, <laughs> says, I'm just popping in to say I love your podcast. I'm currently on episode 88, The Wanderer's Library. I listen to y'all while I work and when I drive to school. If you haven't covered it yet, I'd like for y'all to read SCP-4999, A Friend in Need. It's nice. Edit. I listen to you guys on Spotify. And I don't know the password because I'm not here yet. Please don't kill me. August Keep up and the executioner. Time. Take them away. We haven't done a password in like 30 episodes. Augustine has just been introduced and he's already mentioned more than most law figures. 
The, the password this episode is August the Executioner. The Augusts and the Executioner. You need a password is you need to like beg for your life before him. August is like a big muscular it's, dude with like an executioner's it, it, hood and yeah. a giant axe. <laughs> exactly. Kenji says he's never been known uh, to speak. Li- <laughs> Kenji says literally barely related to the episode, but super long ones are the worst for me because I hear popcorn fifty times and desperately crave popcorn chicken. Don't know. Oh. Shall we? Popcorn. 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 Also, this episode was finger licking good, he says. I imagine he got popcorn uh, chicken. <laughs> oh, are you ready for a totally original? The, the sponsorship by KFC had really paid off. <laughs> Orchid Stream says, uh, why would they make an episode that's completely blank? Do you get it? Uh... Do you get it, <laughs> What a joke. <laughs> uh, Sobek says, quantum episode, let's go! Me when I read a quantum or uh, hippo article. Uh, JTKC says anti-mimema division. Pleasantly surprised to see you guys returning this after so long. Anti-mimetics division is one of the coolest stories I've read. Period. I even bought the hard copy version. Can't wait for this the guys 2025 to revisit I'm gonna read it by getting it from the library because I hate giving quantum. This is the only place I work out. <laughs> I rate this episode. Uh, wait, where am I? Shit, middle good. What? Oh my god, he went to the wrong loop. <laughs> Pull him out. How did you escape the revolution of the past timelines? Quiet SCP says, "Hell yeah, more anti-memetics." Uh, what were we watching again? Fuckers. <laughs> Fucking comedy man, Kelp had it by exactly the, had it by the balls. He knew. Good one, comedy man. Uh, all right. Well, thank you guys for watching. Actually, Tan Honey, give us a. You know what? I'm bringing this from April. Give us a lore. Give us a lore fact about the. Give us a lore fact about the roleplay universe of our fucking podcast. August the Executioner is a past iteration of Rocky. What from another loop? (laughs) Yeah. I actually like this idea that there's loops and you can bring people from other loops like parallel universes. So what happened to the August in his loop? Like, what hole did no he leave August behind? And how that, does it affect the loop? loop. Some... Does it like cor- does it corrupt the, the the loop like a bad like a bad memory? Like, if you take someone from a loop, does the loop start? No, the loop's over. So the loop. Imagine so original Rocky that became August was in loop six. Let's say and right now we're in loop seven. So when loop right. six ended, I took him with me to loop seven. <laughs> So, so anytime someone's taken from a loop, it collapses. Well, so the, you have to like, the, the, keep moving to loops. Different loop, so the loops over. Okay, that so, loops over. So the okay, so there is an end to each loop. Yeah. So the only way to keep surviving is to keep hopping loops. Yes. Wow, that's dark. And we're still trapped in here reading SCP files over the intercom. What are we doing? We have to find a solution to this loop problem. I think it's going well. We can just keep oh, doing okay. this forever, right? Yeah. yeah why do we have to solve it? And warm in here. <laughs> All right, guys, let's leave this to Marion Wheeler. We'll see you all next time on Discovering SCP. Bye. Bye.